You are listening to Movies Abroad. Hi and welcome to Movies Abroad. My name is Sadeep Scott-Smith. I'm the Editor-in-Chief for Kulturbunkern.dk and as always I'm joined by my two friends from Texas. Hello, I'm Dustin Chase. I, uh, you can hear me on News 88.7. That's the Houston NPR. You can also read my reviews, texasartandfilm.net. And if you're in Galveston, you can find me in print in the Galveston Daily Newspaper every Friday. Yeah, and I'm James Clay. I'm everywhere, all the time. I am like, I don't know, I got nothing. Um, I write for a site called freshfiction.tv. And I also write for a site called Consequence of Sound currently, and there I am covering a myriad of films. I like to do a lot of Blu-ray reviews, too, and uh, the occasional feature. So uh, you can see me there, you can read me there, and you can... Easiest way to find my my stuff is you just go to Rotten Tomatoes, James Clay, and you can read all my stuff and comment and tell me how I'm wrong or tell me how I'm brilliant. Preferably the latter. <laughs> yes, of course. That goes without saying. <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, in this episode, we're going to, again, that goes without saying as well, we're going to have to talk a bit about uh, the upcoming uh, Academy Awards, and uh, Dustin is going to give us a little bit uh, of a peek behind the scenes of the Critics' Choice Awards, which uh, he was a part of. But before that, I kind of want to talk about uh, this month that we're in, uh, January, because in the midst of all of the, you know, award seasons, uh, while it's at its highest, and as we're approaching the Oscars and the BAFTAs are right around the corner, for some reason, January is the month where all of the worst films of the year are premiered, particularly in America. <laughs> and... Uh, I was kind Especially of wondering... Especially America. <laughs> it's, I, mean, I mean, it's an American phenomenon, because... Here in Denmark, for instance, a lot of the uh, prestige movies, as you would call them, they get uh, a delayed release. So, for instance, Jojo Rabbit just premiered here. The Lighthouse is going to premiere next week. And uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire is going to premiere the week after that. So there are a lot of, a lot of uh, prestige movies that are premiering here uh, at the same time as movies like uh, Sonic and Doolittle are. But it's not like that in uh, America, because all these movies are up for uh, the big awards now. So I'm wondering if you guys have any idea why that is. Well, I mean, so there's there's a really interesting conversation here. And I call, were you following the conversation that Joe Fryer, one of our colleagues who's also in the Critics' Choice Awards, and um, Nick Hamden, who's a local writer in Houston, were talking about? Because Joe Fryer had said that... Um, uh, his favorite movie so far in 2020 was, I can't now remember what it was, but I, it was one of the um, foreign films, and Nick Hamden was like, oh, you know, that came out last year. And Joe Fryer was like, well, it's only been playing in theaters this year. And they went back and forth on it, and, I mean, really, Nick Hamden was right, because that movie was a 2019 movie, even though it just came out in... 2020, and like Adib is saying here, that happens quite often, is that these movies will have their New York, LA qualifying release, you know, by the end of the year, so they can get nominated for the Oscars, which a lot of, especially foreign films, that happens. I mean, do you guys consider those movies 2020 movies or 2019 movies? 
It well, just I mean, depends. Oh no, go ahead, Adib. Go ahead. No, no. I mean, I mean, uh, I mean, the distinction is pretty clear here in Denmark because we have two major movie awards: one from the industry and one uh, from the critics. And they, uh, I mean, they just go by when it premieres in our nationwide theaters. So if a movie like Jojo Rabbit premieres here on the 10th of January, then it's a 2020 movie. That's what it's considered, even though, I mean, technically it's from 2019. Right. Well, well yeah, I mean, for me, let Go ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 I keep stepping on you guys. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. It's your turn. <laughs> so, so my thing is, so we were talking about uh while we were uh working on our technical uh configurations and logistics about uh this Vincent Cassell film Adib I was asking him if he saw anything good uh it's called the specials is that right yes and uh technically that was a 2019 film because it premiered at Cannes that year but it came out in 2020 so for me if it's at the film festival that's what i'm going off of me too yeah i agree so i like to go off the film festival because let, let's say i saw it at can mm-hmm. um then i would put it under that so it's a 2019 film but if you see it in 2020 um it, it's just gotta go off of that because you can't really especially if it got released in france so a great example would be for this year for American audiences would be Pablo Lorraine's Emma. Dustin mm-hmm. and I saw that at TIFF last year. That didn't that wasn't going to be an Oscar movie, so it didn't get released here. Just like Adib when we were talking about on previous podcasts, if Uncut Gems is not an Oscar nominated film, which it's not, it's going to go straight to Netflix or whatever that is. You're not going to necessarily get those movies. So or like let's say 8th grade, if that movie doesn't get an Oscar nomination, you probably wouldn't get that until maybe March or April of next year. That's how it is here. Um, we see that a lot that comes through, especially with the film festival circuit. So if I saw a movie at a film festival last year and I put it on my letterbox list, which my letterbox is how I log all my films that I see each year. Uh, so I know how many I've seen and I've seen a whopping three uh, 2020 films uh, this year, which is fine by me. Um, but I, uh, I'm not going to put a film that I saw at a September or October film festival Again, if I decide to watch it again on, on this year, if I decide to, you know, give it some coverage or something like that. So I think that you have to go by the film festival premiere date unless it um, unless it's a one off kind of thing and they don't do any sort of marketing or promotion or anything like that. And then it kind of comes. So um, we see that a lot with a lot of the French films. So hopefully yes. to bring it all back around is that film. Hopefully that film, the specials of Vincent Cassell ends up coming here at some point, but that probably wouldn't be for another year or so. So I think you have to go by the film festival uh, release date. Uh, okay. Unless, so, it's being, so unless it's being purposely held over. Right. So I think you've, you brought up an even more specific point. Okay, so I looked up what Joe Fryer said. It was for Les Miserables. He said the first great movie of 2020. And so Les Miserables played at Cannes last year. That's like spring 2019. Then it was at Toronto. And most of the awards bodies clearly saw it before the end of the year. And so, 
you know, that's not a 2020 movie. That is a 2000. They sent out screeners. They sent out screeners. And on, I'm looking at my screener. It says 2019 on the screen. Yeah, and I'm sorry if you saw it. I mean, I, I, mean, I love Joe Fryer. I'm not arguing with him. But I'm just saying, in, with any critic, I'm sorry if you didn't see it till 2020 or if it's not playing in your specific city in 2020. But that's a tw- 2019 movie. People did the same thing last year in our own critics group. Cole, you probably remember. What was the movie? And I can't think of the name of it. It's Bird something. Um, that everybody oh, loved. Birds of Passage. Birds of, yeah. People had that on their top 10 list for 2020, and I'm like, or I mean 2019. And I was like, that was last year. They, that was 2018. They did it with that. They did it with Embrace of the Serpent. And they also did it with uh, a film that is coming out uh, called Baccarat. It's a Brazilian yeah. film that screened at Toronto, but is not getting a U.S. release here. Gets, but it actually it, screened in Houston. So. It gets people confused. Now, going back to what you were saying, and Adib, you can tell me to shut up or jump in on this anytime. So, for instance, like we all three saw um, the David Copperfield movie at Toronto, but that was, like Cole said, specifically held. So they're like, we're going to release that in 2020. So to me, even though we saw that one in 2019, that is a 2020 movie. That's when it's having its release. Same thing. Because it's not being released anywhere else. Right. So Baccarat or Les Mis, that was released in France last fall. And L.A. and New York in 2019. So that gets, people get so confused on that. And to go back to Adib's original point while we're having this conversation is that yes what he the, what we call the dumping ground that's what it's called in America is where these movies like I'm going to list them like a boss underworld bad boys for life a fall from grace troop zero and the gentleman the studios are like you know it doesn't matter where when we release these movies they're only going to make a certain amount of money they're only going to get a certain amount of buzz so we might as well go ahead and get rid of them so we can give other movies that need to be placed in specific months on specific dates near specific holidays a better chance or and or give the editor production team time to work harder on other movies that we think are going to be more profitable that's why it's called the dumping ground and that's why these movies like like a boss that it doesn't matter where that movie's going to fall they know it's terrible it means they've screened it in LA to test audiences they've got bad results and there's nothing they can do about it so they just have to dump it and hope for the best that's true. I mean, but some of the movies aren't terrible. Some of I'm them not are saying, just... yeah, it's just that they're nothing but like, like Bad Boys. Bad Boys got some okay reviews, but you know, that's nothing anybody's going to be talking about months from now. It's just, it is what it is. It, the no. only reason it's success now is because there's nothing else to compete with it. And, right. and same with The Gentleman. It's like, that's a movie that it's not terrible and it has some funny moments, but you're going to just kind of be like, okay. That's one ear and out the other. I mean, yeah, I read your exactly. review on it, Dustin, so I know you didn't hate it as well. It's like a C-plus movie. Yeah, it's just uh, a whatever. It's got some good stuff, but who cares at the end of yeah. the day? It's not right. like you're never going to talk to anybody. I'm never going to bring my significant other to say, yeah. oh, my God, we've got to go back and see The Gentleman. No. Yeah. Yeah. And there's nothing in it even worth talking about. I mean, it's there's just, really not. It's there's just another guy Richie Colin movie. haircut, but, I mean, you know. <laughs> Or his tracksuit. He borrowed those our track suit. Yeah. yeah, those track suits are pretty sweet. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you don't really see anything take off in America. There'll usually be like a big blockbuster or two, like maybe even a tent pole in February. Uh, I think we've seen that with, 
you know, they'll start to scream. Beauty and the Beast, I think, was early March, the live action one, but we still screen that in February. Birds of Prey, for example, is a great example. That's a tentpole movie. So Deadpool is another one. So every once in a while, you'll see these ones that are somewhat risky, maybe not a $150 million budget, but maybe like a $100 million film uh, get released around that time. But nothing really, really kicks off until March. And then in, you know, I know I'm jumping ahead, but March and April is really a great a great time when you see a lot of uh, solid, not great, but solid uh, films for adults really kind of hit the theaters. I'm thinking of like Eye in the Sky or something like that. Uh, well, that and that's up. also when you're getting South by Southwest and you're getting Cannes and you're starting to get those yes. early spring film festivals too. You're starting to, the year's starting to take shape. So right now it's this amalgamous blob and we don't really know. Sundance is starting uh, everything off as well. But um, – yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind of how it goes, and I know it gets confusing for people, but it, it's it's the same song and dance every year. The cycle continues, um, and uh, for film critics such as the three of us, I know Dustin doesn't take a breath, but this is the only time I'm able to like take a breath and like mm-hmm. catch up on films and, and take take a vacation. Like that. You know, <laughs> take a vacation. Good yeah. Lord, I know we all need it. Um, you know, but you know, it's like for example, I texted yeah. you yesterday, what? Dustin. Uh, I want to see the Painted Veil, you know, the Edward Norton movie. You want to catch up on things, and this is the time to do it. But at Toronto, but it had, but it, you know, Clemency was also at um, Sundance last year, right? Yep. And so I don't know what Neon was thinking, holding that one a year. That one could have come out in October, November, and really built some buzz for Alfre Woodard. They really bombed on that. They do that every year. I mean, honestly, that movie could have come out in April. But the thing is, is Avengers was last year. Last year was the year of the franchise movie. Um, And, you know, that movie should have been released differently. They screwed up. That's like Annapurna screwing up with, I mean, it was not as good of a movie, but Destroyer uh, the year before last. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, These studios, they just, they just crap the bed sometimes. Mm -hmm. Clemency is a big example. Not a great movie, but still something people deserve to have seen and gotten their eyes on a lot sooner because it opened up a megaplexes here and I guarantee you there was... I could text our friend right now who general manages the megaplex and say, how many people saw Clemency this weekend? I bet you five to ten in a theater. All right, so Adib, anything else on the the January release topic? (laughs) Well, no, I think you you guys covered it pretty well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there's nothing uh, as to add. I mean, it's kind of uh, depressing that it's uh, so uh, that I mean, that is so cynical the way they are kind of dumping these movies that they have no faith in. Yeah. But I mean, it is what it is. I mean, they they produce uh, too many bad movies. A lot of the film studios, and they have to get released mm-hmm. at some point. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think but most people know that this is also the time of year where, especially January, where those nominations for all those movies are out and those movies are mostly now playing in theaters so people are more interested in going to see that stuff really the stuff that they haven't seen from the previous year that everybody's talking about than this new you know one-off crap um which i guess brings us to our next topic so sam mendez won won the yeah sam mendez won the dga last night so what do you guys think about that Well-deserved, of course. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's what I think, definitely. So, so if, like, so right now, I mean, so 1917 has, it tied for Best Director at Critics' Choice Awards, it got the PGA, which is a huge bellwether, and now it has DGA, so it has PGA and DGA. I mean, 
Are you crazy not to predict Sam Mendes to win Best Director at the Oscars? And does that mean that 1917 wins Picture also? Like, what do you guys think? Uh, well, I mean, it's so... Uh... I mean, the, I think the reason that there usually isn't a correlation between those two awards is because, you know, ever since 2013, they have had this, they have changed uh, the way the Academy votes on Best Picture from a, a democratic election to an elimination race. And, and, and that's the only award that's uh, voted uh, on like that. All of the others is... Basically, whoever gets the most uh, votes wins. Right. So, I mean, he looks like he uh, is a shoe-in for winning Best Director. But is he going to be... Is 1917 going to be the first movie to get over 50% of the votes? I mean, I don't know. The uh, the nine nominees for Best Picture are so vastly different mm -hmm. from each other. And, I mean... Just the fact that there are uh, nine nominees this year for Best Picture speaks to the fact that the Academy is pretty divided. Uh, so I don't know if it, that one is going to be able to uh, get 50% of those first or is gonna, if it's going to be someone like Tarantino or uh, Scorsese's The Irishman or maybe even Parasite. I mean... It, I, I honestly have no clue had, because there usually isn't any rhyme or reason um, when you see the best picture. Like, for instance, last year you had Green Book, who is, which I know wasn't a whole lot of people's favorite movie, but it still won. And then you have something like uh, Spotlight, which is a well-crafted movie, but it's not a particularly special or cinematic movie, but... That was the first one to get 50% that year. So, yeah. I, uh, <laughs> so, so, so Green yeah. Book won the PGA last year. And so, but people kind of ignored that. And they're like, oh, stats are not going to matter this year. And it did, it did matter at the end of the day. So, you know, and the DGA is usually very foretelling. So, I mean, if you're looking at stats, stat-wise you got to predict 1917 for both of those because of what the stats say. I think at this point, you'd be really crazy not to put... I mean, because Sam Mendes also won at the Golden Globes. We were all shocked, but he's continued to win down the line. So I think at this point, the director seems to be sewn up. But I am still not convinced that 1917 wins both. Because of the SAG, because Parasite won SAG, and the way that the room reacted to Parasite just presenting an award says that there's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of love for Parasite. So I still think that Parasite could pull off an upset Best Picture win, and you know, 1917 get Director, and Parasite get Foreign and um, Picture. Yeah, uh but uh, hasn't the uh, you know the uh, the voters for uh, the SAG award changed this year? Wasn't there something about that? Well, I mean, they're mixed with after now, but that's been happening for three or four years. And it's true that their nominees were a little wonky because they didn't see everything by the time they voted for the nominees. And 
the they only take like 200 SAG members and let those people pick the nominees and then everybody like all like 10 whatever thousand of them vote on the winners so um, their process is a little interesting but um, but again you can't deny that the fact that the whole room stood up for Parasite I mean that's that's a big deal so I I am on the fence between Parasite and 1917 for picture but I think I'm going to stick with Sam Mendes for director unless something crazy happens between now and then. And people are like, oh, well, they still got the BAFTAs, the BAFTAs. But I mean, they're clearly going to go for 1917, both in picture and director. So yeah. my thing with this is, I, you know, I mean, it's, it's no secret. I, I love this movie. And I was scrolling through uh, some tweets as I was listening on to you guys trying to figure out. I was trying to find a tweet in particular that I wasn't able to um, about people. But, you know. There's this thing on Twitter, which Twitter, of course, is not reality. Um, in fact, it's a weird fantasy land that people live in. Um, but, uh, you know, people really have it out for 1917. And I can't really see that translating. And I'm not really sure where that comes from uh, or anything like that. I think that uh, when films come in late like this, people already have their horse that they want to run with. So let's say it's Parasite for a lot of people. Um, and I think maybe that could hurt it and the story may behind Parasite. But my cynicism, and I might have said this on the podcast last time, was that Hollywood wants to use Bong and Parasite like it's a mascot. Look how diverse we are. Look yeah. how different we are. Now, this is a film about real – I mean it's kind of a silly kind of – you know, I, I would put – I don't put Parasite too far off from a Tarantino film. These are not like – you know, these are – real people and that talk about real yeah, things, stylized. but it's also kind of very highly stylized. You know, you could put this and Ryan Johnson in the same category as well. Um, I really think that they, they run hand in hand. I personally don't think Parasite is the grand masterpiece that people have said it is. I think it's a very, very, very good movie. Um, so, to my point, okay. my, my point is with this is like, I don't know if the Academy is actually going to fully go for, for Parasite. Because of that, so I may put 1917 in there because that is typically the uh, the way that you would think an Oscar would go, a prestige film. I, I think I'm kind of starting to count out Once Upon a Time in Hollywood aside from everything except screenplay and actor, supporting actor. Um, so, But at the same time, what I'm worried about – and Dustin, you'll have to tell me about this. Sam Mendes won 20 years ago. Um, his acceptance right. speech for American Beauty is fantastic. I love watching it. I watched it again the other day on YouTube. And I really think everybody should watch it because, man, he sure does look different <laughs> these days. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's really strange. And just seeing you know a fresh-faced winner and all that stuff is really cool and inspiring. So I don't know. I mean, will they – do you think the Academy would not give it to somebody twice like Sam Mendes because of how – you know, people look back and film scholars and everything like that don't really look back fondly on his work. However, I think Sam Mendes is an excellent director, and I think it was well-deserved. Um, so, I don't know. What do you think um, in terms of how he's been received his entire career with maybe even some of his more middling efforts uh, compared to um, his status now as a filmmaker? Like, do you think that it's a lock then? I, I don't know that it's a lock because there's so much love for Bong Joon-ho, but you would just, you know... You would think that with the especially like the directors guild, I mean, there's so many people voting that you'd think if he if Bong Joon Ho was gonna win, he would have won there. And the fact that at the Critics Choice Awards, which is also a pretty big bellwether for the Oscars, that Bong Joon Ho 
I mean, I fe- I thought Bong Joon-ho would win at the Critics' Choice Awards, but the fact that he tied with Sam Mendes really surprised me. Um, so, and then now it just seems like Sam Mendes has it. And I mean, you can use Renee Zellweger as an example. I mean, she disappeared and now she's back. And I mean, n- nobody can stop the Renee Zellweger train. So I don't think the fact that he's made. I mean, I think a lot of the movies that he's made were really good, like Road to Perdition, you know, between American Beauty and Now. But I don't think that matters. I think they're. I think we at least, okay, at least on this award, like last year was a different story. If looking at Glenn Close, they weren't really trying to give her the Oscar for that movie. They were trying to give it to her for a career work. But I do think with the increased membership at the Oscars, I think we're getting away from the let's just give it to him for dot 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 kind of thinking and i do think the let's give it to him based on this specific thing has taken a bigger hold because you know like again last year the glenn close thing if they were you know people were like they're just giving it to her as a lifetime thing and then olivia coleman won because they just liked that now performance better and so i think that works in sam mendez favor because they're just looking at what he created with 1917. Yeah, I mean, I think that, I mean, when you just look at how many of the major awards he's already won, uh, Sam Mendes, I think anything short of a smear campaign against his person, I mean, (laughs) unless somebody is trying to uh, dissuade people from voting uh, for him because he worked with Kevin Spacey or something like that, I don't see how he could lose it because, I mean... uh, um, whether you like 1917 or not, it's a, it's a really big cinematic achievement, and he has a, a huge uh, stock in that achievement. So, I mean, you can't really take anything away from what he has made with this film. I mean, if you ask me, and nobody's asking me, I mean, 1917 <laughs> really is it probably the most impressive film that came out in the entire year. I mean... It it works on every level. I mean, I don't see any issues with movie. And there's nothing, you know. You talk about smear campaigns. We see all that stuff come out. You know, think you know pieces written about in the New York Times uh, smearing this person or that person, uh, Adam Driver or so, whoever. What are you gonna say about this movie? This movie does all the things right. It's about people coming together. It's about you know, heartache. It's about triumph, being triumphant, and and not only that, it pushes the medium to a level that we have not seen. Um, I mean, I, I love the Revenant, but man, boy, does this movie really give that movie a run for its money in terms of its technical achievements. And and you read to one best director for that, right? And then Spotlight won best picture. Is that right? So and he won two years in a row, right? Didn't you read to win two years in a row? Yes. Was that the same year? Best director. That's yes. He did, yeah, yeah that, he did, yeah, you're right. That's insane. So if they're going to give it to him, how are you not going to like, uh, you know, like the, I mean, Sam Mendes is way more gracious and more charming than in Aritu <laughs> any day. So, I mean, and his, his Golden Globe speech was really good too. I mean, I really like the guy and I, I, you feel, you just feel like it, this film came from a genuine place and I think people pick up on that. And I think that, you know, people can really uh, latch on to that. You know, it's about stories. It's about passing stories on. That's what cinema's about. That's what these, uh, you know, these Academy members get so geeky about and just, you know, get so charmed by. So I, I don't know. I, I, it's, it's tough. It's tough to say. But I still would like to see a surprise 
But if Sam Mendes wins, I'm going to jump for joy. So. I th- yeah, I mean, I think that's more of a done deal. It's it's just is it go- is nineteen seventy going to also win picture or is it going to be Parasite? I mean, I'm fine with either one. I think nineteen personally, I think nineteen seventeen is a better movie than Parasite. But I understand the excitement over giving you know if Parasite becomes the first foreign film to ever win best picture, I mean that's a big deal. Uh, so, you know, and, and Bong Joon-ho is going to walk away with an Oscar one way or the other when he wins foreign film. I mean, that award goes to the director, so. I mean, uh, it's kind of interesting. We, uh, we've been there all this time. We've been talking uh, about how it's almost set in stone that, you know, 1917 and Sam Mendes is going to win. But if we move down the list and take a look at the acting categories, do you guys also think that the four acting categories are more or less a lock now? I mean, I think they've been locked for a while. It's just, you know, you, you don't know that until you get through all the awards. However, I do want to point this out, is that we thought last year was a lock too. And <laughs> when we got to Best Actress, I mean, that was one of the biggest shocks because it wasn't. So I think, you know, it seems like that, and I thought Best Actress is certainly locked. But if they're, I mean, let's look at it this way. Let's look at it a different way. If there were to be an Olivia, Olivia Coleman surprise this year, which of the four categories would it come in? I guess Adam Driver, I, I think. You think? He's so well-liked. I mean, he just won uh, some award in San Sebastian or somewhere, I don't know, uh, for being a nice guy or something, I don't <laughs> know. Uh, oh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, um, but, I mean... I, I can't really see anybody but Renee Selweger in for Best Actress. And Laura Dern is, I think, by she has by far the most interesting r- role uh, when you compare it to uh, the other supporting actresses. And Brad Pitt, uh, I mean, that seems, I mean, that seems like an award that's, uh, that that a lot of people feel is overdue. So I, I think Adam Driver is the only one that could maybe upset. Uh, and surprise when you take into account how many uh, awards uh, Joaquin Phoenix has already won. Yeah, I would agree with you, but I think so. I think Brad Pitt and Renee are the two absolute locks. There's no, there's no changing that those two. Um, but I think the only, I think the only upset that I could see in another category would be um, if. Um, Scarlett Johansson beat Laura Dern for Jojo Rabbit. I don't think that'll happen, but I think there's so much love for Scarlett Johansson and there's so much love for Jojo Rabbit and I don't think that Jojo Rabbit is going to win anything because I think uh, Greta Gerwig's got it in the bag for Little Women. The Getting snubbed for Best Director was the best thing to happen for her winning an Oscar. <laughs> so she's going to win Adapted Screenplay because she was snubbed in Director. We've seen that happen before. So yeah, so the I think the only way Jojo Rabbit wins anything is if, but you know everybody loves Laura Dern. I can't imagine they would be like, oh, we're going to vote for Scarlett. Well, I mean, she didn't get voted uh, president of the Academy a couple of years ago, so which is a shame. <laughs> which is a shame. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that. Yeah, but I agree with you. I think Best Actor is the only place there could be a possible upset. But I mean. You know, Joker has 11 nominations. Like, what else does Joker really win besides actor? And, you know, at this, I mean, at this point, there may be quite a few movies that end up not winning anything. 
Yeah, it would be kind of crazy if it uh, had the most nominees and didn't win anything at all. Yeah, I think the two that aren't going to win anything are Jojo Rabbit and The Irishman. Yeah. The Irishman's going to walk away empty-handed. I, I can almost guarantee it. You know, I mean, you look at each and every category, and yeah. there's just stronger entries in every single one. I mean, I mean you know, the way um, Joe Pesci eats his bread <laughs> <laughs> with his that teeth out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, I mean, so, they were cool, but I was not impressed by Joe Pesci. So. I, I do agree with Cole that because of Hilder's campaigning and her visibility at award shows, it does seem like that Joker is in the lead for original score, but I think there is possibility for an upset in that category. I would not be shocked if 1917 wins that because a lot has happened with 1917 since those at least televised... Um, uh, Joker awards, and I wouldn't also be surprised if 1917 wins score at the BAFTAs next week. And remember, the BAFTAs are like 40% Oscar voters, so sometimes BAFTA will tell you that a spoiler is coming. And but some people always write it off as, oh well, that's the British people, but they forget that that's a huge amount of the Oscar voting body. So if there are some upsets like in those categories at the BAFTAs next week, pay attention to that. So. So, so let's take score, for example. I think that's a really great litmus for this. Um, I think score and production design will be really interesting for me to talk about real quick. So for score, I mean, the category stacked this year. I mean, really every score that's in there is, is very good. And Except in my opinion, Star Wars. It's, oh, yeah, Star Wars is in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you got, you got, you got Joker, you got 1917, you got Little Women, and you got... Uh, Marriage Story. So those are four. Those are four solid scores. And honestly, I think Marriage Story coming in in the fourth spot. So yeah. my thing is, okay. So Hilder has been the front runner October since we saw the movie in mm-hmm. Toronto together. All that stuff. She's been the front runner, I think at least. Um, uh, Alexandra Desplat, good score, but very familiar. I think it's great. It's my personal favorite, but it's familiar to his work. It sounds like a lot of stuff. So I. And he's won before. And he's won before. So Thomas Newman's never won. So that brings me to 1970. Right. That score does something different with that type of film. Mm -hmm. uh, Unlike anything I've ever heard. It seems modern yet classic, yet emotional, yet scary. It's it's brilliant. And it's it's an 80-minute long score. Okay. So my thing is back to the favorite of being Hilder. So why – do you think that this movie coming in late – is just going to be people wanting something shiny and new because it's cleaning up at the box office and Joker has been around and everybody's been talking about it for four months. But the thing is, is nineteen seven. not many films can come in late like that, but, but 1917 is so strong mm-hmm. that they can do that. The Revenant is so strong, they can do that. You know, mm-hmm. Silence, not that strong, but that movie yeah. tried to do that. You, you see the trend I'm going mm-hmm. for here. So will Hilder stay true? Or do you think, or, or do Academy members genuinely think that, let's say Thomas Newman wins, that that is genuinely the best, or is that just their favorite right now? I think that there's two things going on. I think that every time Walking Phoenix wins, he mentions Hilder, and that helps continue to propel her in the lead. But I also think that because people love 1917 so much, and a big part of the emotional factor to that movie 
is the score. And what's interesting about Thomas Newman's score in 1917 is it's kind of like the production design because it's always changing. It's never the same. You know, like every scene is totally different. They never use the same location twice. He never uses the same type of music twice. It's always going on to the next thing. And it's that makes it so different than all the other ones because it's every track is like almost a completely different type of music. So you think that, yeah, they are looking at something shiny, but it is that good. Yeah. That, that it's that definitely is, between it, those two. I'm just saying, if next week at BAFTA, if 1917 wins best score, then I think it's going to be really, really neck and neck. I don't think um, Joker's score is as... I, I don't think it's just the 100% it's going to win score. I think those two are neck and neck. Well, um, you know, Thomas Newman is well known, but he, he hasn't won, right? He's never right. won. And so, and then on production design, that one, I really think that one is anybody's game. I mean, I don't, that one, anybody could win that because they're all, I mean, I don't care for the production design that much in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but I think there are, you could make a case for the other four winning, and I think that might be the Irishman's best chance of winning something in that one even though i think that's lame because what about parasite though i mean that's what i'm saying yeah the house the whole house was designed they've made a very big deal about that with jojo rabbit i mean there was so much uh construction on that stuff especially during the war sequences and then in 1917 i mean you don't even have to try to sell that one i mean everything was built from scratch yeah 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 and including i love that shot of their muddy boots as they go through no man's land that's like one of my favorite shots of the whole movie and i just you just get so much texture with stuff like that uh and you know the sound design of that like you know you think about their boots i don't want to make this into just a gush fest for this movie but man their (laughs) boots just like going through that mud and just hearing all of that man it's just it's just a i don't know i just just love it man i wish i could see it again on the big screen so i think if any movie but ford versus ferrari wins either one of the sound awards i think that'll be very telling too uh i think most people are predicting ford versus ferrari to win both of those um, not. But right? if, I mean, 1917 over that. Right? I know, but I'm just saying, if any movie wins anything but Ford versus Ferrari early in the night, because those are some of the first awards they do, pay attention to that. Pay attention to what wins sound editing or sound mixing if it's not Ford versus Ferrari. So I mean, so so Ford v Ferrari clearly is somewhat strong. I mean, it got a Best Picture nomination. Yeah. So you think that movie? That's what it's going to take then, because mm-hmm. of that. Because most of the best people seem nomination. to be predicting. Uh, like I said, one or both of those to go to Ford versus Ferrari. Though that those awards typically go to the same movie. Typically. I d- yeah, yeah, like Dunkirk or something like yeah. that. Yeah. What I don't get is like, here's okay. Listen to me for a second here. Uh, indulge me for a second. This is the sound oh, yeah. design in Ford versus um, Ferrari. Okay, here it goes. Here it goes. <laughs> That's the sound design in that movie. 1917 is firing on all cylinders. I mean, hell, mm. Parasite has better sound design. Then the more inventive sound design with feet creaking and hitting the hitting the wood floors and all that stuff. I mean, come on, like that movie cannot win. That's so lame. That's so but like. Lame. Oh, let me hear like them a, ties get pulled up in that movie. I just hate it. But like Adib was pointing out, you know, since the preferential ballot, they do tend to try to make sure all of the however many nominees there are get something. I mean, you can go back and look, and that's it's such a weird thing to think about. Because you're like, how do the voters actually, and maybe they subconsciously think about that, but in the past few years, if you go back and look, 
whether it was six nominees, seven, or eight, it's like they give each of the Best Picture nominees one award, at least one award. So if you think like that, uh-huh. that, that adds a whole nother layer of predicting the winners. Yeah, well, I mean, they, they, there were a lot of uh, machine sounds, so I guess Fabi Ferrari is going to win for Best Motor Sounds. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, that's what <laughs> I on. am. Yeah, I mean, I would, I'm, I'm probably just, because if you try to split them up, you always get one or both wrong. So it's always, you know, for predicting sake, it's better to predict the same movie for, for both. So, I mean, for my predictions, I'll probably just put Ford versus Ferrari for, for both of those. And if it splits, fine. Like I'm saying, pay attention to the one that's not Ford versus Ferrari. But I think they'll get one or both of those. When, uh, do, when does voting close? Do you have any idea? It closes on uh, February 4th. It's 4th of February. Is, it, is that right after the Baptist? Baptist is, yeah. ba- Baptist Baptist is a week, second. Right? Yeah, so it'll be two days yeah. later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, makes sense. Okay. Well, you know, I, I don't know. I, I just, I, I my honestly thinking about on it, back on it, I'm shocked that like Jojo Rabbit got as many nominations as it did because to mm. me, it, I just don't really. The comedy didn't work that great for me in the movie, and I think the you know there's some good stuff. There's there's movies that have looked like this before that Oscars have ignored completely. I mean, Moonrise Kingdom I think is like the biggest example of a, of a movie, and I, I don't think I think that got like a screenplay nomination or something like that. But I just cannot believe it got eight or something like that, six, eight nominations. Yeah, well, I mean, Jojo uh, Rabbit won uh, the People's Choice Awards at uh, TIFF. And I mean, for the last 10 years, when you win that award, you automatically get a Best Picture nomination as well. I don't know what it is, but... It's just wild to me. I, you know, I, I think... Um, I don't know. It's a movie that... It was my number one movie going into TIFF. I was so excited to see it. And I, I just could not help but feel a little bit deflated um, by it for whatever reason. But um, I still like it. I still think it's good. But I was just kind of... Um, shocked by that, and I still kind of am shocked that people liked it that much. Maybe it's just the charm of Taika Waititi or something like that. Yeah, I mean, some people really, really, really love that. So, what else we got, guys? Well, I mean, uh, of course, we could talk about uh, screenplay. I mean, that's also, I guess, somewhere of a free fall. Well, so the, they had the U.S. Uh, C. Scripter Award, and from what I've gathered, I don't really follow that award as much as I do the WGA, but the WGA is weird, the Writers Guild Awards, for people who don't know what WGA is. Um, those always omit people because of weird rules, like Quentin Tarantino is never eligible for the WGA, so um, he never wins there, but yet always usually goes on to win the Oscar. So the USC S. Scripter, they have not as uh, strict rules. So apparently from Sasha Stone and other people I've read that the USC scripter is very predictive of um, screenplay at the Oscars and Greta, like Greta Gerwig won this weekend. And she's she's certainly been, I mean, she's been making the rounds. I don't know if you want to call that campaigning or not, but um, she was on Jimmy Kimmel the other night. People in the audience were wearing Greta Gerwig shirts. I mean, it's just love for her is at an all-time high. So... Um, I would be shocked, shocked, shocked if she doesn't win adapted screenplay. Would you guys? What do you guys think about that? I mean, would you be shocked if she doesn't win that? Uh, well, I, I think that maybe Anthony McCartan could win, uh, but uh, I, I don't think. Uh, I think 
either of those two could win. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you look at the two popes, uh, you know, again, stat-wise, it's the only one of the five that doesn't have a Best Picture nomination. True. Exactly. Mm. That's that's kind of the way I look at it, at least. Yeah. And then for now, for original screenplay, I think this is another category where I mean, p- most everybody seems to think that Quentin Tarantino's got it, but at the same time, you know, I mean, Marriage Story is right there, and is it only going to get Laura Dern and not win anything else? I think that Noah Baumbach could be the spoiler there. I, I would be fine with that. I mean, Quentin is one. He wants director. Mm-hmm. And I really feel, as uh, the pundits say, that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is a bit on the downtick. Mm-hmm. You know? it's I think it's out on Blu-ray. People have seen it. You know, the, the people who love it, love it. You know? And I think that... You know? I mean, people love Brad. He's, you know, he's still, you know, out there doing his thing. But as far as, you know, showing love to Quentin, can't really see that happening much anymore, man. But I mean, like, oh, there's Quentin. That's cool. Were, you, were you guys as shocked as me that it won Best Picture at the Critics' Choice Awards? Hollywood? Yeah. Yeah, of course. I was, like, yeah, I was shocked. What? I, I thought it was either going to be 1917 or Parasite because we gave it to um, Roma last year, which honestly surprised me. Like, knowing what I know about the people in that group, and it's about 200, 300, you know, journalists on radio and TV, I was impressed last year that that many people gave it to Roma. I really was. I mean, knowing that group, they're a little bit more mainstream. And so I was really like, wow, you know, I, and then so I was surprised again this year that they went for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I really thought they were going to go a different way, but maybe it was the uh, 1917 camp and the Parasite camp. And maybe most people had Once Upon a Time in Hollywood at number two. I don't know. I mean, I can't explain how Once Upon a Time in Hollywood won um, Best Picture at the Critics' Choice Awards. I can't explain that. So, so yeah. I mean, are, I mean, if you guys, if you guys were predicting right now, I mean, are are you picking Quentin to win his third screenplay award for writing, or do you think they're going to do something different there? Do you want me to vote with my head, or do you want me to vote with my? I want you to vote like you were at Las Vegas. <laughs> like, oh, if you were like if you were like oh, okay 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 well i've got to go with quentin then for yeah. my third time i mean it seems but, like I mean, an obvious thing but do you think some voters are like you know he's won this because every time well, he that's what i'm deal. thinking you know it's he, no. it's such a big deal everybody knows that he's won before there's no like oh i forgot he won totally everybody knows that they he's know won. that Just yeah 2013 you know you know the movie was 2012 but the yeah the award 13. So the thing is, is yeah, because if I was if I was a voter, I would be like, oh well, I'm gonna go for Baumbach. This is him. He's been building up to films yeah. like this. Me oh too. man, yeah. he hit a peak. Quentin has always done this. Yeah, he's always. I love the movie. That's fine. But Marriage Story is something so much more profound. Not necessarily comparing the films together, but in terms of a director reaching their like pinnacle reaching reaching their full potential as a writer director and it's um, really all bomb back doing something totally different if you look at his other movies this is a totally different movie than what he's done in the totally, past. totally. yeah it's it's much more tender all of his other movies are kind of meh yeah. at the same time you know a little farming <laughs> 
I don't know how else to articulate it. He's a little grouchy, a little intellectual, a little bristly. So I can't. I hate to keep bringing up the Baftas, but since that's the only thing we got left, it'll be interesting to see what Bafta does. I, I'd have to go back and look to see if they're. I, I'm assuming their screen original screenplay category matches this pretty close. Um, somebody can look at that while I'm talking, but you know it'll be interesting to see what they do. If they go for Quentin, then you know. But if they go somewhere else, it, you know that would be. Interesting, because who won the WGA, or have they done WGA winners yet? Since Quentin's not there, I don't. I no, I don't think they have yet. I don't think they have either. Yeah, they're the they're on February the first. So you know, whoever wins there, maybe that's the second choice since Quentin's not nominated there. I mean, I would I would really hope that it would be Baumbach because I mean, otherwise, I mean, he's like, well, dang, well, what else am I supposed to do? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, they're exactly the same at BAFTA, so it's exactly the same nominees. So, James, you think it's going to be uh, Noah Baumbach and Greta Gerwig who wins for screenplay? Well, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I, Parasite has a nomination, too. Actually, I was wrong. Sorry to interrupt. I was wrong. So 1917 is not nominated for screenplay at BAFTAs, which is interesting because it's a British movie. They put Booksmart in instead of 1917. Okay, continue, Cole. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that, is, that is interesting. Um, you know, I mean, the thing is, I, the thing that I think about at least is, you know, I, I, I just, I think there are still going to be people when it comes to a screenplay, when it comes to Bong with his original screenplay, that aren't going to vote for him. I mean, I, you know, you see the love. We, we, we got to think about the bubble of everything like that. You know, the Twitter bubble when it comes to Parasite. There probably are people in the Academy who don't really give a crap about that movie. They're just being, they're just not saying anything about it. But they'll say it with their awards. I guarantee you there are people that do not give a crap about it. Um, and as far as Quentin goes, you know, He's around. I, he's been around. He's made himself very available all yeah, year to people. True. Appearing on podcasts. He's not as shiny. It's not as new. It's like, oh, there's Quentin. Oh, yeah. it's, there's Quentin. It's not like somebody really stepping out. He seems a little more accessible these days. That's the thing. And I think that is going to kind of hurt his chances when it comes to him winning. He's not – yeah, he's great. But it's not this weird mythic accessibility that is going to get him his third one. Now, if you're Daniel Day-Lewis and you only show up once every eight years, you're like, oh, my God, there's Daniel Day-Lewis. Blah, blah, blah. Quentin has been around. Quentin does so many interviews. Even when he's not having a film to promote, he's been doing interviews about his Hateful Eight on Netflix and all that stuff. He's been around. So for yeah. Noah Baumbach. He, he's somebody that doesn't really make himself that available. He's on Kimmel. He'll do that kind of stuff, blah, blah, blah. But also I think that there is still some um, elusiveness to him that I think could bring the mystery of his screenplay to a win. So I think that's kind of maybe a weird way to say it is somehow he's not as approachable as Quentin. So that could therefore make his art even stronger. Um, I, I don't know. That's just kind of maybe what I'm thinking. But if if I was gonna put money down on Vegas, I would do Quentin. Um, I'd be too scared because, but I'm not a betting man. But yeah. <laughs> okay, Andy. Before we go, I want to hear more from you. I feel like we've hogged the conversation. I want to hear more what you think about the Oscar race and any crazy predictions you have or anything that you're gonna be mad about if it happens. Well, I'm not. I'm not gonna be mad about anything. I don't have uh, any skin in the game. I don't know any of these people personally, so I'm not gonna be. <laughs> sad or uh, angry on their behalf. Uh, 
<laughs> yeah, but I mean, my thoughts are basically uh, sort of apathetic in the sense that it seems kind of predictable this year. There are uh, it's a lot of the same movies that are nominated uh, in most of the major categories, and um, and it's it's most uh, it's a, a lot of the same actors who has won uh, the precursor awards up until this and. I, 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 I don't really see any major upsets coming. That that's uh, that is an um, yeah, and I I don't even see any upsets in the animated feature award. Uh, even though Klaus won the Annie a couple, of, I think it was like a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I don't think that's gonna win. Uh, it's probably gonna be Toy Story Four that wins because, as you guys probably know. Uh, a lot of people who vote on best animated feature don't actually see <laughs> any of the films. They just vote for the movie that uh, their kids have seen or they recognize the title and stuff like that. And um, so, yeah, I don't really see uh, anything. Uh, I mean, it's, it's kind of a terrible commercial for the Oscars, but I don't see anything interesting happening at all. <laughs> well, and, and so in that kind of year, that, I mean... As predictable as some of the things are going to be, if there is something that doesn't go as planned, that'll be the talking point. You know, like last year, people could not stop talking about Olivia Coleman winning because most people didn't see that coming. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see what, you know, beyond the political speeches and whatever have you, it'll be interesting to see which category, because there's always at least one surprise, right? I mean, whether it's in documentary or some, I mean, there's always one surprise somewhere and so it'll be interesting to see where we find that surprise this year so i mean uh, as we sort of tease here in the beginning uh, uh, at least i want to hear from you dustin what's it like to be a part of a, a major award like the critics choice award well it's total chaos first of all i always any the guests that i have brought i've tried to bring somebody different every year but um i always tell them you know from the moment you check in and go through security and all that stuff um to walking through the red carpet and you see e entertainment and all the people doing the interviews and um it's like it just it's chaos it's just chaos through the whole thing and it goes by so quickly um i mean it's for me like I can't imagine anything more fun. Like, that's just the most exciting just to be in there with those people. And not just the fact that you're sitting so close. Like, Aquafina was, like, two tables in front of me. So I could, like, I had a view, vantage point of her all night. But, um, you know, it's not it, – just being – the. I mean, it's a, it's a totally different – I've watched the Critics' Choice Awards for many years from my couch. And honestly, it's probably more fun watching it at home because – you're just focused on the winners. When you're there, there's just so much chaos going on. And there's stuff happening, you know, during commercial breaks. There's announcements going on and people getting up and moving around. But um, it, it's just it's a different thing when you're there. And people are really not paying attention to who's winning what. I mean, it's I try to, like, take the book out and circle what's happening. But um, it's just a lot of chaos. I mean, that's – and then there's not a lot of food. And you're always really, really hungry by the end of it. Um but um yeah it's i I don't know how to describe it it's um you definitely see like 
it's not just the critics and the people getting up from the tables and you know meeting different people and shaking hands and talking and oh I love your movie and da da da. It's other celebrities. Like for instance, um, it was really cute. I saw Beanie Feldstein run from her table over to Greta Gerwig and she was talking with Saoirse because of course Beanie was in Lady Lady Bird and she was saying how much she loved uh, Little Women and you know just seeing that kind of stuff is is really cute because you see that you know as the Golden Globes and stuff are cutting to commercial breaks you're like oh my gosh you know Meryl Streep shaking hands with so and so and um, so that's kind of interesting to see that kind of stuff happen in real time and um, but everybody is so nice and so just generous and and they love hearing about their films like uh, I was I had saw uh, Little Women for the third time um, at 10:30 p.m. which didn't end till like 1 a.m. the night before the Critics Choice Awards so I was exhausted and. So I told Greta Gerwig, I said, I just saw it for the third time. I wanted to see it on the big screen. I had only seen it on screener. And she's like, oh my gosh. Like her first question was like, how many people were there at 10.30 p.m., you know, at Universal Studios? And I said, you know, surprisingly, it was probably two-fourths full, you know, for a 10.30 showing at Universal where the parking is $28, you know. I mean, that's not bad. Um, so, yeah, that she, she I just thought that was funny that that was her question. Um but it's 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 a fun show. I do feel like that um, that people don't take the Critics' Choice Awards as serious as they do something like the Golden Globes or the Oscars or SAG because it's critics voting versus you know other people that are that they I guess maybe think are more important. However, I think where the Critics' Choice is uh, maybe looked at as as important is that it seems to predict um, the winners of the Oscars more so than all the other guys. So, in, and I think that's why the publicists at least try to push their people to attend because they're like, you know, if you win here, that's a big deal. So, um, that's my two cents. I mean, if you have, I'll answer any questions you have, but um, that's, I mean, it's, that's pretty much it. It's just, it's, I'll always say it's a lot of chaos. It's a lot of chaos. But people who watch it seem to say, oh, I had one of my friends who's a critic said, I actually like the Critics' Choice Awards better than the Golden Globes. And she said it just looked so cool from watching it. And it, I was like, well, I'm glad the chaos doesn't transcend to the broadcast. Yeah. So, I mean, even though it's uh, the best predictor for the Oscars, you still think that 1917 is going to win Best Picture? Um, well, you know, so last year, like I said, uh, the Critics' Choice Awards gave Roma Best Picture, and of course, Green Book won at the Oscars. So um, I'm not saying it's the most predictive for Best Picture, but in the other awards, I think, yeah, I think uh, I think BAFTA and Critics' Choice are more predictive. But you have to give. I mean, I love the Critics' Choice Awards and all the people in there, but um, you have to give BAFTA a little bit more credence because, like I said, about 40%, and it may be higher, of those members are actual Oscar voters. Those are the same people, whereas the Critics' Choice Awards, none of those people are voting on the Oscars. So, I mean, so, so what's it like? I mean, it's one thing to be a part of the show, but, I mean, what's it like being a member of, uh, you know, I don't know, I don't even know what you call yourself when you're a member of the Critics' Choice Awards, but... Well, yeah, it used, to, it used to be BFCA, it used to be Broadcast Film Critics Association, but they've kind of thrown that term away, and now it's just called CCA, Critics' Choice Awards, so it's all blending together now. So, yeah, so, I mean, uh, since, uh, I mean, whether or not uh, the actors want to, 
you know, give credence to the value of critics or not. I mean, do you still feel that uh, there are a lot of, uh, you know, filmmakers that are trying to butter you up to get your vote because uh, you're a voting member? Well, I think the studios do, but um, I, I mean, they send us a lot of stuff. And maybe some people are swayed by that. I think that's probably how um, the Irishman won Best Ensemble. But, um, you know, I, th- I like to think that most people are above that. Most people, they, they know what they like, they know what's good, and they vote for what they really believe in versus, you know, who sent them, you know, the two Pope slippers or uh, whatever they sent. Um, but I like to think that people really like what they like and vote for what they're passionate about. And um, something that I found interesting, and I was talking to a colleague of mine, Eric Anderson, who does awardswatch.com. We were talking about the Jennifer Lopez thing, and I may have mentioned this last podcast, and I apologize if I did, but we were talking about how if you look on Rotten Tomatoes that um, there's a critic's percentage and there's an audience percentage. And so many people get focused on that critic's percentage. Like for uh, Hustlers, it was like 80s, 90s. But if you look at the audience score, it was like 60s, maybe even lower on Hustlers. So we were talking about how the audience is really more like a voter than the critic, no matter what awards body that you're in, but especially the Oscars. So if you look at Rotten Tomatoes and you look at a movie, like let's take Hustlers for example, that has a low audience score most voters are not going to vote for one element of a movie that they liked in a movie that they overall didn't like does that make sense cole i think i explained this to you yeah yeah yeah, yeah. we talked about this yeah no yeah. it does make sense so like yeah, if i mean you, if you if just you, look if at you the fo- score you can yeah see. if you follow that thing it was very clear that jennifer lopez was not going to get nominated for the Oscars because why would a voter vote for Jennifer Lopez from a movie they didn't care for? Well, right? the, the thing is, too, is, you know, we talked about this. I loved Uncut Gems. I loved Adam Sandler in that movie. But right. come on. I mean, the thing is, is he has not taken himself seriously as an actor in years and years and years. I mean, he's done a few things here and there. He tried to do that movie with Tom McCarthy, The Cobbler, when that was terrible. He did Men, Women, and Children with Jason Reitman. It was terrible. So the thing is, is is they're not taking themselves seriously. Is People who are – this is about the craft. Yeah, mm-hmm. he did a great performance. Sure, I did not like Jennifer Lopez's performance in Hustlers in the least, but to a lot of people, she gave a great performance. But then again, Jennifer Lopez has not done a movie that she's really cared about in terms of like really delivering a performance. Yeah, sure, made Manhattan, whatever. But like, in sense, like maybe The Cell or Out of Sight. Mm -hmm. That was the last time that she did. And then with those two films. They're not. She's never done really a performance movie. Maybe Selena. That's it, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. And so let's take Uncut Gems for a perfect example. And again, I apologize if we talked about this last time, but um, so Uncut Gems had ninety-two percent from critics. Ninety-two percent, you know. And then you look at the audience score, and it's completely opposite. It's fifty-two percent from the audience score. And like I said, audience score equals your normal Oscar voter. They're just everyday people who watch these screeners and watch movies like everybody else. And they didn't like Uncut Gems. So therefore, 
even if they liked Adam Sandler and hated the movie, they're not going to nominate one aspect of the movie if they didn't like it. And I mean, if in all honestly, going back to the Critics' Choice Awards, you know, when I fill out my ballot, I tend to put the movies in there that I liked overall versus just cherry picking one thing about one movie because you tend to want to vote for the movies that you liked overall. I, I think that's just human nature. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah. So, and we can all credit Sasha Stone for pointing out that Rotten Tomatoes audience score secret little thing to look at. That she, and she's been right. Ever since she showed me that, I've always looked at that and I'm like, oh my gosh, it really matches up almost every time. That's all I got. Well, uh, I mean, well, in that case, I guess that's uh, also the end of uh, this episode. And uh, I guess we'll uh, reconvene after the Oscars here uh, in February. Let's, if, we, if we can, let's try to do one after the BAFTAs. So once we get the BAFTA winners, then we can really, because there's nothing else happening after the BAFTAs. So after that you got to put your predictions in. If we can, if we can get together and do like a real quick, just, all we'll do is just predicting. We'll go through each live action feature and predict the winners there. So it'll be on record and then we'll see how well we did. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Is that, if that's the way you want to play it, then, uh, <laughs> <laughs> then we'll do it like that. All right. All, all right, right, guys. I've got, uh, I've got movies to watch here at home. Have a great week, everybody. We'll talk yeah. soon. All right, guys, take care. Bye. Bye.